Mmm, how's that avo? <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Ask Avo. My name is Jenny Tam. Um, I use pronouns like she, her, hers, and I'm one of the advocacy chairs. My name is Haruka, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am here to talk about trans and non-binary experiences. Hi everyone, my name is Kyle, my pronouns are he, her, they, and I am the other co-advocacy chair for MASU. Um, as Haruka said, we're going to talk about trans and non-binary inclusion. Um, and so we wanted to talk about how and why people use pronouns and how it impacts people, especially because I think entering college, everyone uses pronouns, so we might not know why we're using it. Um, and um, we also would like to address the potential violence um, to the trans community um, and hopefully offer some insight on this topic. Awesome, let's get started. Yeah, okay. So a couple disclaimers I wanna make before we like get into the content. So I am a non-binary person. However, this doesn't mean that I speak for all trans people. So trans people, right, like we're a community, which means that there are many different people with many different identities. Each person's experience is unique to them, just in the way that like every person, regardless of gender, their experience is unique to them. So please don't listen to this and think that what I'm saying is that like what all trans people feel and think, that is not true. Um, I really don't want you to walk away from this believing in that. Um, I will be briefly discussing like violence, harassment, murder, um, the systems of oppression that keep trans people subjugated. And so I'll like do my best to like make that clear before I get into like specifics as we go through, but please know that that is something that we are going to talk about and to take care of yourself or do whatever you need to do. Um, in order to move through that. I am going to make the assumption just with the with the podcast and just conversation in general that many folks who are listening identify as cisgender, which is a term that we'll get into later. These are like really multifaceted concepts, and so there are some like details that I'm not gonna get into in this podcast just for the purposes of keeping it like low-key and approachable. Um, but if you are all interested in like things I say or things I mention, like please look them up. Please learn from different people. I promise that your life is going to be so much richer. Um, I think for me, I'm like still learning. And so like, I don't know. I'm just going to like do a lot of like listening um, within this podcast, but I'll also ask questions. If I do say something harmful, like let me know. I think we're all learning. I'm still learning. I learn new things every day. Yeah. We're all in this together. So definitions? Let's get into it. So you're going to want to know these definitions and if you need to pause and skip back because we start talking about something you're like, I don't remember what that means, but it's totally okay. Um, also, like another disclaimer that definitions can like vary from pe person to person, community to community. This might differ for you or for the people around you and that is okay. Starting off with the concept of sex um, as, as it relates to identity. So sex is mostly related to your hormones, your sex characteristics, and chromosomes, among other factors. Sex is mainly, predominantly assigned to you at birth. And so when you are born and the doctor or nurse looks at you and says, this infant has a penis and testes, this means this infant is a boy, and I'm going to assign you male at birth. Or, you know, conversely, this infant has a vulva, which means she's a girl, and I'm going to assign her female at birth. Um, so this is kind of like the sex binary, um, is what we refer to this system. A big 
kind of group of people that we don't talk about when we talk about the concept of sex, I think very often in, in like non-intersex communities is the existence of intersex people. And so intersex is a general term used to refer to people whose sex doesn't fall into the like neatly defined boxes of male or female. And so this can look like having ambiguous sex characteristics, it can look like having chromosomes that are not XX or XY, um, like being trans, being intersex is like a really specific experience to every single person who is intersex, and so that is going to depend on that person, their family, their community, their identity, etc. Forms of oppression that intersex people experience as children, many of them are forced into like gender surgery, and so surgery that is done on their bodies to remove organs or to alter their bodies. Some are forced into hormone therapy. Uh, some intersex children don't know that they're intersex, they're never told that, or some intersex people just don't know ever, right? Like their parents don't know, their doctors don't know, and that's something they discover later in life. Moving on, so gender. Gender and sex are two different things. So gender is your social and legal status, it's how you identify, it's how you view yourself. Um, so sex does not automatically mean gender. And so getting into that, um, the concept of transness, so being transgender, being transgender means that you don't identify with the gender that was assigned to you at birth. It's it's pretty simple, it's just that. So in this podcast, we're gonna mainly say like trans and non-binary. And so non-binary people are trans by definition. However, just to make it really clear that we're including them, we're just gonna explicitly name them. Um, but please know that we, we do believe that non-binary people are trans and we're not trying to create like a, a strict like wall between the two. Um, just Super clear. So non-binary people are within the trans community. Yes. So if trans means not identifying with the gender you were assigned at birth, and if you are non-binary, um, being assigned non-binary at birth is, is not really a thing that happens to, to people. So if you are non-binary and you don't identify as the sex you were assigned at birth, then, then you're trans. It's kind of like how, how like all all squares are rectangles, yes. but rectangles aren't squares. So not all trans are non-binary. Yes, not all trans people are non-binary. However, all non-binary non people are trans. are trans if they choose to identify themselves that way. Sweet. Anything else I should clarify before I steamroll on? Yeah, no, I, I guess like I never knew that because I always thought that trans identifying them that you went through a, like a transition in gender like through surgery mm -hmm. and I I'm like learning now that like that's not always the case yes. the trans is just not identifying with the gender that you were a, the sex that you were assigned at first yes yeah I was gonna say like the exact same thing like I thought that uh trans is either male transitioning their gender to female or female trans transitioning their gender to um male so moving on, um, thinking about more like genders under the trans umbrella. So trans men or trans masculine people are men or people who express their gender masculinely and were assigned female at birth. So you might hear the term FTM used or female to male. Um, that's not really a term that's used in like current times. So you might hear like older trans people use that language. And that is like okay and we should not police that because their experiences of gender are something that like like they went through tons of oppression um so that we could have 
a different kind of oppression, if that makes sense. But it is essentially like I don't feel like it's okay for any in any movement for like youth to be telling elders like this is how you should behave or this is the words you should use. So a little bit of a tangent. Um, but in general, uh, the term that people prefer is like trans men. So not like FTM, not like female to male. Not calling you out, just. Yeah. Um, so trans women or trans feminine people are women or people who express their gender femininely um, or identify femininely. I should have correct. I should have said that in the previous definition. Um, who are assigned male at birth. So I'm going to say this over and over again because it's super important. But trans women are women and trans men are men. And so you, I think it's really important that when we talk about women in general. Right? Like we can't think of just cis women. And cis women, cisgender, is identifying as the gender you were assigned at birth. So if you were assigned female at birth and you're still like, yep, I'm a girl, I'm a woman, like that feels really good to me. I feel like in community when I'm with other women, you are cisgender. It's really, really important when we talk about gender-based issues and gender-based violence to make sure we're including all people. So if we're talking about experiences that women face, we can't just focus on like, for example, like menstruation, because that's not something that all women experience, and that's not something that like only women experience. It's super important that we continue to remember like all people in that category, or we're just contributing to like more erasure. So it can take some time for you to wrap your head around, but expand your definition of like what these identities mean, and and you know your life is going to be so much richer. You're going to meet more people. You're going to be able to look at things in a different way. It's, and you're going to be better for the people around you. So I've, I've seen you use um, or introduce the two different terms differently, trans men and trans masculine. Mm -hmm. And then there's also trans women and trans feminine. Is there like a difference in the way people choose to identify themselves with these two terms or four terms? Yeah. So again, this is going to be really specific to each person. So please don't walk away from this thinking that I'm an expert because I'm absolutely not. <laughs> So trans men and trans women kind of fall, and this is not an all or nothing, right? Because gender is like super expansive. But for the most part, this is, is falls into like a binary. So when you think about the gender binary, it's this concept that there are only two genders, male and female. And the way that this shows up in, think about the US specifically, because that's where I was born and grew up. Um, this manifests itself in gender reveal parties in only having two sexes assigned at birth predominantly and really only focusing on those two sexes and trying to force people into those two sexes if it's not like clearly defined. Um, bathrooms, most places only have male and female restrooms. Locker rooms, same thing. Um, thinking about compulsory heterosexuality, so like when you see little boys and little girls together and you're like, oh, she's gonna be a heartbreaker, like they're three. Like you, you can't say that. Um, so that's the gender binary, and so non-binary genders that we talked about earlier, right, are like loosely defined as genders that are not male or female. Again, this depends on, on each individual person. Um, so the genders of like trans man and trans woman are what are referred to as binary genders. And so using the term like trans masculine or trans feminine for yourself, in my understanding, is being non-binary but still expressing, and, and not but, and still expressing those characteristics. So for example, my girlfriend um, uses she, they pronouns and presents very masculinely, like doesn't wear dresses, skirts, makeup, um, 
favors like heavy work boots, right? And like, who's to say all those things like are like inherently masculine, but we live in a society that genders everything. So theoretically, they could identify as transmasculine. They don't, but that is a label that could be applied to their identity. Does that kind of explain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that clears up. So it's a, a word to like describe the like specific oppression that people can experience if they present in a way that's not their assigned sex at birth, but doesn't automatically then shoehorn them into being like, you have to then identify as a binary gender. It's essentially just like, it's like create your own gender, like create your own gender expression, your own gender experience. Mm -hmm. And then I think, uh, so you mentioned compulsive heterosexuality. What compulsive heterosexuality means is that when you're a child, you are kind of like, oh, if you're a boy, you're going you're gonna to love a girl. Mm -hmm. But basically forcing the children into the gender norm, into the norm. Right. That way? Okay. And then that can manifest itself later in life where um, this is something that I've heard from a lot of queer girls. Um, so not saying that this experience is limited to queer girls, it's just something that I've heard predominantly from that community in my circles is this like growing up and like always feeling like something is wrong with you, like not being able to fit in with girls who talk about boys, forcing yourself to go on dates with boys or being in relationships with boys because that's, you know, like you're like, that's how it's supposed to be. Like that's what I'm supposed to be. That's what I've been told my whole life is, is supposed to happen. And so when we think about like being a queer person and then the added level of like, people in your life telling you like that is not an option for you you are not allowed to be that like that can really kind of mess with your head so that's the concept of compulsory heterosexuality is it can start with the like like those little onesies that are like <laughs> like i'm a heartbreaker or like hide your hide your girls i'm like, like you're an infant you know <laughs> like why are you doing this to your child so it can start there and then it's the like oh, boys and girls shouldn't be in the same room together, like implying that something is going to happen, that those children are attracted to each other. Um, and then just goes up until even the like, the fact that like same-sex marriage wasn't legalized. Like it was legalized when we were in high school. Like what's up with that? So it really is just a system um, of oppression, a system of thinking that can really end up having like real like legal impacts on people's lives. Uh, so sexual orientation is separate from gender and separate from sex. It is who you are attracted to or your lack of sexual romantic attraction, um, specifically thinking about folks on the ace or aromantic spectrum. So this is different, again, this is different from gender and sex. And gender expression, we touched on this a little bit, but that is how you express your gender to the outside world. So this can include things like makeup, clothing, the pitch of your voice, body hair, mannerisms, hobbies, right? And unfortunately, those are things that are all like gendered in our society, um, but they are also ways that people like identify themselves and find joy. So that's like, <laughs> I got this as brief as possible, like a whole page. Um, how, how do you two feel about, about that? And we can totally come back and redefine things as we, like it makes sense. Like it, it, it makes sense as you say them. I'm just trying to like find real world examples to try yeah. to piece it in, but it makes sense. I'll talk about my own like identity too later on, and then hopefully that can contextualize it um, further. 
I don't know if I should ask this now or later, but I want to revisit gender parties, gender reveals, and like how to, <laughs> like, like the question broadly is like, how do we raise our children, right? And I mean like maybe not all of you want children, but like I'm thinking like that far ahead because I really like, I really want children and I, I don't know, like just like knowing how harmful it can be and like that harm starts with like their parent, like what are ways that we can change these things or like normalize in our society, but. Yeah, maybe that's like yeah. a layer. Well, I think we can talk about it now. So gender reveal parties, if you do not know what these are, uh, first of all, like lucky you. Second of all, they're parties where people like get together and they reveal the, they say gender, but it's really the sex of their baby. Um, and that's like not even always like 100% like true, right? Like thing, like medicine is not, I'm maybe not going to go there. I don't want to be getting through that. the balloon and then like pink or it's always pink or blue too like pink or blue confetti falls down oh um, or you open a cake and then the inside of the cake is a certain color yeah. um and like most devastatingly like fireworks fireworks like, <laughs> the western half of the united states has been like on fire because of like mul like it's not just one like multiple people having gender reveal parties that involve fire in the middle of like California in a drought, oh in, like with climate change. So, like, stop doing, that. <laughs> like, stop perpetuating that. Also, like, you are ruining the environment. <laughs> 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 but I think when when it comes to like raising children in a gender affirming way, something. So one of my like mentors is pregnant right now, and she has not told anyone, um, or like she has not publicly shared the sex of her baby. She is not referred to the baby with gender pronouns um, on her registry. She didn't request any gender specific um, like clothing, right? So like books about like women's empowerment, books about like, you know, like gender and acceptance, but nothing specifically that's like, you are a girl or you are a boy or I want blue like wall hangings for the nursery or whatever. So I think that's a really good step because even if you personally are an affirming parent, if the people around you are not, that is gonna be something that's really difficult. Like every time they interact with your kid, they're just like, oh, you're such a good girl. Even if you at home are not saying that, that's still gonna like imprint. So the first question is, would you be willing to inform listeners about sexual orientation and gender identity and how there are stereotypes as to which identities in both are organized within one another through assumptions? So when we read this question, we had to like question. talk about what we thought it meant. And so what I have settled on is that this asker is wants to know about like the stereotypes of like the trans people have to be certain sexualities. And if that is not what you meant, um, submit another question. Yeah, you know, just submit like a question yeah. and I will get back to you. Comments um, below. <laughs> So, reviewing, sexual orientation is who you are or aren't attracted to. Gender identity is, is literally what gender you identify as, so two separate things. Um, they can be like connected, but they are like two separate things. That was really confusing. Um, I, <laughs> so this is, again, really depends on the individual, but for 
the purposes of understanding clearly, gender and sexual orientation are two different concepts. So I think that there is like a misguided idea that trans people have to be queer, or trans people can only be attracted to other trans people, and that's not true. Trans people can be straight, trans people can be gay, trans people can be lesbians, bi, etc., etc., um, because our genders don't define our sexual orientations. So for me personally, I identify as non-binary. For me, that means that I identify like not as a man, not as a woman, and my gender identity is like not contingent. On, on not being a man or a woman. It's literally just I am non-binary and that is a third gender for me. Uh, and I'm also queer. So for me, that means that I'm, I have the capacity to be attracted to all people of all genders um, and predominantly to like women and non-binary people. So if, I think if you catch yourself assuming anyone's sexual orientation, like don't do that. Um, but if you catch yourself assuming trans people's sexualities, really kind of like examine where you're coming from um, because again like gender and sexual orientation are different things and so trans people can be any sexual orientation because two separate concepts. As a non-binary person myself I want to know why folks struggle accepting they them pronouns. Um, it's something we already use in language when we don't know a person's identity so why is it like pulling teeth with folks to respect and recognize both the singular they and just pronoun preference in general? So in a word, the answer is transphobia. Um, that's what it comes down to. So when we look specifically at like accepting they them pronouns, so you know, like this Esther is correct. We already use they them pronouns um, to refer to singular people in everyday language in conversations that are not about gender identity. So an example might be like, oh, the mailman came by, they left a package around noon, right? And that is like a normal sentence that you could hear, I and mean, most likely that probably wouldn't raise any red flags. It wouldn't make you be like, hey, that's not proper grammar, that's not proper English. Um, for people who are like clinging to grammatical rules and being like, I accept, I accept them, but it's just not right, right? Like that, that is just a form of thinly veiled transphobia. You're just hiding behind grammar rules. Um, they has been used as a singular pronoun since the late 1300s. It's according to Merriam-Webster and the AP Style Book, which is the like board that like kind of governs journalistic um, expressions, so like newspapers, etc. Um, both those institutions have said that they use a valid singular pronoun. The bottom line, I think, is that people's happiness, safety, comfort, validation overrules grammar rules every time, all the time, right? Like if you are like, it is more important for me to believe in a system that was created by white people um, to police people's like grammar and language, and I would rather do that than uplift my non-binary or trans friend, then that is like your prerogative, but I do want to explicitly name that like that is the behavior that you're engaging in. Right, and I mean, I feel like just like what you said there makes sense. Like even if you couldn't relate to the trans or non-binary identity, it's like if you spoke or like grew up in a house with like a second language and like English was hard and grammar was hard, like we understand how uncomfortable it is when people police like our Americanness mm -hmm. with grammar. And so like the situation's different, but it's like not like 
it's like pulling out of your ass. Like you, these are experiences <laughs> that like you know, right? Or like can relate to. All systems of oppression are interconnected. So yeah. some things I might say about transphobia might resonate with you and your experience of like racism, classism, ableism, etc. And that makes sense, right? Because all these systems of oppression rely on each other to, to thrive. So the next question is, is there a male privilege if you are a trans man? Men? If you are a trans man? Um, why are trans man, men issues talked about less than trans women issues? So to answer the first question, as far as male privilege, uh, the answer is yes, because trans men are men. And so if you are a man, you experience male privilege. Now, to make it clear, this does not mean that you don't experience other forms of oppression, right? Like trans men, because of their transness, are subject to transphobia and can absolutely experience gender-based oppression. Um, an experience specifically that trans men share is that they have experienced, they've been on the receiving end of misogyny and sexism. And the moment, um, if, if that moment has come, or the moment that came when the world started to perceive them as male, the way they were treated changed. So some folks say that like, the moment I began being treated as a male at work, like people stopped questioning my capabilities. People stopped you know, second-guessing me. When I spoke up in a meeting, people listened. People validated me, they gave me credit for my ideas. And at the same time, um, trans men talk about how intimacy is harder for them. How, you know, maybe pre-being like looked at as a man, you can walk alone at night and see a woman on the other side of the street and she wouldn't run away from you, right? Like it would have been just like, we're both people and we're both walking and we're both at risk for violence and you're unlikely to hurt each other. Versus now if you are perceived as a man, that woman's response might look different. Um, they also talk about how like, you know when you're at a grocery store and you see a cute baby and you smile and you make a face maybe and, and you get, you know, you try to make them happy. Trans men are like, I can't do that anymore. When I do that now, like the parents of that child, the caregiver, like looks at me weird or takes their child away, right? And so, like, I think it's in general, it's just like a bigger conversation about gender and sexism and the way that we treat people. Um, but the bottom line there is that trans men um, do have male privilege on the basis of their maleness, and that also does not negate other systems of oppression. Um, just like in just intersectionality, just like <laughs> in, in, in any other like form of, of conversation around oppression. Um, why are trans men issues talked about less than trans women issues? So this is not like a hard and fast like this is you know like I've done the equations and this is the proof. This is just what I have gathered. Femininity in general is policed in a way that masculinity isn't. So an example of that is like makeup. Like when women stop wearing makeup. Um, and I'm talking about like all women. Trans women not wearing makeup like comes with a lot of like actual like physical violence. Um, but just in general, women when we stop wearing makeup or when they stop wearing makeup, um, there's the like, oh you look tired. Oh you don't put effort into your appearance. You know you're at work. Why don't you dress up? Like you need to look appropriate. Um, like women's voices are policed. Um, the way that like, like even looking at in our government, <laughs> like looking at the way that women are treated in public spheres on the internet from people who hold institutional power. So knowing that femininity is policed and that transphobia exists, 
It makes a lot of sense that trans women experience a lot of violence on the basis of being trans, being a woman, and for black trans women being black. So the intersection of anti-blackness, transphobia, and misogyny. Um, also, like trans women, and this is gonna be a discussion of violence, trans women are murdered at a rate that trans men are not. And when I say these statistics, it's really important to remember that these are the people who are reported as being trans. There are many people that, that die, both in violent and nonviolent ways, where we, the general public, if we hear about their death, we might not ever know that they were trans. Um, and that can come down to like being closeted, having a family that handles your funeral affairs that doesn't support you, um, you know, being murdered and no one knows who you are, and people like make false assumptions. So knowing all of that, in 2019, all of the reported deaths of trans people in the USA were black trans women. That is like a really staggering statistics, and when we say murder, we mean violently. 33 trans people have been reported to have been killed violently in the United States. 29 of those people were trans women or trans feminine people, and nearly all of them were black or brown. And that is, like, that's a really awful statistic. That is heartbreaking, and that I think is something that all of us have a responsibility, all of us, like, non-trans women, we have a responsibility to stop. Um, was there ever an experience where you had to correct someone about your pronoun or identity? And if so, what happened? What happened afterwards? So my personal experience, um, I get misgendered every day. Every day that I, you know, leave my bed and talk to other people, um, I get misgendered. So I have tried to combat this a couple of ways. I used to wear like a they them pin like every day. Um, however, I, I'm really bad with laundry, so I would like leave it on the bin and then I would rattle around in my like dryer, just be awful. Um, I have this jean jacket that I wear a lot, um, so I sewed a big patch on. Um, that also doesn't really work. Um, so this is something I experience every day, um, and it is, you know, in part because of the the body I was born into and the way that I dress. Um, but for a brief part of my life. I, I did try to express myself more masculinely. I cut my hair, I wore a binder, I like stopped wearing like skirts and dresses and makeup, and I was like one, just really miserable, and two, it didn't work. So um, as far as correcting people, I personally rarely do that. And I really do that because it is a lot of energy over and over again every day to be like, no, that's not my pronouns. Like thinking about Zoom classes, right? Like. I dread presenting things um, or speaking for critique because then when people talk about me, they use she, her pronouns. And they'll be like, oh, I really liked how she composed that. Or like, I don't know, I just felt like her recording was just a little bit fuzzy, right? And so whenever I have to do that in class, I just I like have to mentally hype myself up. Another reason I don't correct people is because there often tends to be like over-apologizing. Um, so this is something, like, if you do this, it is okay, but stop doing this once I explain why it's bad. Um, so I think that the normal reaction to being told, like, hey, what you did hurt me is to apologize. And it is to feel bad um, because you don't want to hurt people because you're a good person and you want to make sure that when you talk to people, you're treating them with respect and they feel, you know, safe. They feel validated. However, when someone is like, hey, you use my wrong pronouns and you delve into, like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I see you as a trans person. I will never do it again. 
I am so awful. I can't believe I hurt you like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is exhausting. Where like most people, if they correct you on your pronouns, they're not looking for an essay on why it was bad behavior and why you won't do it again. Most of the time it's just like, hey, please don't do that. Like in the future, please don't do that. Like keep that in mind. Um, so when you over apologize, like one, like be kind to yourself, like accept that you make mistakes. Um, like focusing on that is not going to help you. It is actually going to make it harder to change. Um, and two, like understand that like when you over apologize, the other person that has to comfort you. Jenny, I'm just gonna use you as an example. So Jenny misgenders me and I'm like, hey, those are my pronouns. And Jenny goes into a 10 minute, you know, speech so about sorry. what, yeah. And then I have to be like, oh, it's okay. You're a good person, right? When like I am the person that harm is done to. But if you see yourself in those encounters, like take some time and I'll be like, hey, that I realize now that that was like not great behavior and then just don't do it again. Another thing I want to say um, with pronouns is that... How did you just snap your fingers? <laughs> I snapped my fingers really... <laughs> what? what? How did you... What? That's a different form to snapping. No, I don't know how to snap like normal people. Crap. Oh, I remember. Um, if you feel like defensive when people call you out for pronouns or just kind of any system of oppression, when I correct people on my pronouns, and I take the time and energy to do that, it's because I love that person. It's because I value that person, and I want them in my life, and I want them in my life enough that I am going to be like, hey, I care about you enough to want to see you every day, and that also means that I don't want to feel shitty when I see you. <laughs> like, I don't want to walk away from our interactions together feeling like you don't see me. So when I correct you, it is because I want you to stay in my life. And staying in my life means that you treat me with respect, and you treat me... Um, as a non-binary person, because that is what I am. So if you feel defensive, like just think about it like, hey, this person likes me enough that they are going to like correct me on their identity because they want to make sure that I stick around because they feel better when they're around me. Um, and if you can think about it like that, I think that is going to be much easier for you to change and to respect people um, in the way that they um, want to and deserve to be treated. Um, and I feel like it, it, like it's just gonna make your life better. And if you can just say, okay, I got it, thank you, I won't do it again, and just move on, like it's gonna make your life better, it's gonna make life for the people around you better. Just like know that like trans people experience misgendering and deadening all the time. And if you can do any small part in changing that, ideally like a large part, ideally you take ownership, but you can start by baby steps, that that's better than nothing. Because um, nothing is complacency and like being complicit in oppression. What message do you have about those who do not accept individuals who identify as trans and non-binary? So I'm going to say this to people who don't accept trans and non-binary folks because I don't think it's helpful for anyone to hear what I have to say about them. So two people who are trans folks, cut that shit out. Like stop it. Don't do that. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> in, in more helpful rhetoric, transphobia is an ism. It's a system of oppression. If you are passionate about being anti-racist, if you are passionate about being anti-sexist, about making sure that women have legal rights and protection and 
have access to reproductive freedom, right? Like this goes beyond women, but like specifically if you, you know, are passionate about these issues. If you care about combating classism and you want to make sure that people don't have to work themselves to the bone in order to afford basic like needs, basic shelter. If you care about any of those things, then you need to care about ending transphobia too, because all of those systems of oppression are linked. You can't just focus on racism and then expect that every like no one is going to have any other problems, right? Like it's our responsibility to look at the world as a multifaceted, you know, system of oppression in the ways that we all are multifaceted and have different identities. Also, like if you if you are like, yeah, I know this about myself, I don't like trans people. Why? Like genuinely, like genuinely I would like to know why. Um, and, and more than that, I would like you to, to I like I I guess I don't really need to know why. I want you to know why. <laughs> um, who benefits from you being transphobic? Right? Like what system of oppression gains things because you feel this way? What does being transphobic add to your life? Does it make you happier? Does it make you safer? How does your transphobia impact the people around you, right? Like, I promise that you know a trans person. Everyone knows a trans person. You might not know that they're trans, but they are and they exist. And this can be in passing, right? Like, this can be a classmate, this can be a friend, this can be a coworker. This could also be a family member. It could be someone you love, it could be someone you see all the time. What message does it send them when you are openly or privately transphobic, right? Like what, what does it do for the world? And what does it do for you? And who gains from you believing this way, right? I would, I would really encourage you to ask yourself those questions if, if you feel like this scenario applies to you. And if there are people in your life who are transphobic, you know, if it feels safe to you, I would kind of probe those questions too and be like, hey, where does this come from? Last but not least, we're <laughs> at our last question. And the question is, what are ways the PETA community can better support trans and non-binary people? Uh, first off, use our pronouns, please. Um, that is like a really, a really small thing that you can do um, that is going to improve people's lives in some measure. Um, so, you might be familiar with people who use two sets of pronouns, so Kyle um, has talked about using he, they pronouns, um, she, they pronouns, like they and z pronouns, etc, etc. So this again is like going to be specific to each person, but if you know people like that, I encourage you to make an effort to use both sets of pronouns, um, right, because there's a reason that people are like, I use two sets of pronouns. Um, most people are not saying that so that you'll use one over the other, right? Because then you would just say that. So if you know someone who uses she they pronouns and you constantly find yourself using she pronouns, I would challenge you to start using they pronouns. Another thing is that like most likely for that person, they are not being gendered. They're not having, they're not being referred to as the pronouns they them theirs in most spheres of life. So if you are someone who is fairly or, or even a little bit knowledgeable about these issues, then you can really make a difference. Um, and I, I really strongly encourage you to do that. Now, I think that for most most times, right, like misgendering is not done intentionally, it's done accidentally, which is why it sucks so much when people are like, hey, please don't do that. Sometimes you don't even realize, and it feels really bad to hurt people unintentionally. 
So if you are struggling with like rewiring your brain, um, I have some steps for you. So we talked about this um, example. You have a friend you love very much, um, and they have just come out as non-binary. And they are like, I use they them pronouns. And you're like, okay, sweet. I love you, um, I value you, thank you for telling me, I see you as a non-binary person, move throughout our lives. And you find that you are having a really hard time adjusting to their new pronouns. Um, you misgender them a lot in conversation. When you think back on your memories with them, um, you're thinking about them as uh, a gender that is not non-binary, a gender that is something as other than what they are. And you like are doing it in front of your friend, and your friend like feels hurt, and you feel bad, and it's just it, there. There's just no. There's no upside, right? Like everyone feels really bad in this situation, and so if you are like, if you are the the main character in the situation, the person that's misgendering others. Here's what I would recommend: um, take the time to really think about that person um, and gender them correctly. So if you catch yourself, if you misgender someone, right, like out loud in conversation, immediately correct yourself and then move on. But then take a moment to be like, oh, I just said like she went to the grocery store. No, they went to the grocery store. They went to the grocery store. And like say that again in your mind. Um, another thing that you can do is, is find a friend that you have in common with that person or maybe even like not in common. Just tell them their name and their pronouns and practice talking about them. You know, like oh, like, they're such a cool person, I really enjoy being their friend, they're really smart, and they make me really happy, like, they, I really love their, like, shoes, like, those, those heels, like, they, they're really killer, <laughs> like, you know, and just practice saying that, and when you say that, like, think about that person in your mind, think about the memories you've shared with them, like, think about their face, and really make a point to practice associating those pronouns with that person, right? And then another thing you can do if you're just having trouble with like conjugation of pronouns in general, go to practicewithpronouns.com. You can enter different sets of pronouns and then just practice. Um, but I think just in this whole process, you have to be kind to yourself um, because it is really hard to make change in any area of your life if you're constantly beating up on yourself. So like understand that like you're you're not doing this intentionally. Like you love this person and you don't want to hurt them, and you just have to get your your like. Lock your your brain, the like unconscious part of your brain, on board with the conscious logical one that sees your friend as non-binary, and it just it takes practice. Um, for cultures that have been impacted by like colonization, um, I think researching that is a really useful thing to do. Again, with a disclaimer that that is not my specific experience. Um, it's just something that I've heard from people with those cultures that connecting with that has really helped them understand. Um, the impacts of that violence on their people and why it's really important to make a point of like being accepting and validating. Um, bring these conversations into spaces. So if you are a cis person and you're part of a student organization, be like, hey, for our next workshop, I want to talk about trans people. I want to talk about how to be better. Um, because like I said before, like you are not going to experience transphobia for standing up for trans people, right? Like if I do that in an organization, like my current organization is great. Like, I was really worried about being misgendered all the time, but then like four of us use they pronouns, so it's fantastic. Um, but if you, or for example, if I'm like in a like lowly homophobic organization, and I'm like, hey, I want to talk about like same-sex marriage and like discrimination, right? And people are like, absolutely not. Also, we hate you because you're gay, right? Like versus um, a, a 
the cisgender heterosexual person being like, hey, like, I want to do this. Like, you get, you might get some judgment, but you're not going to be run out of the organization, most likely. And you're not going to be targeted because of your identity. Um, so, like, be the person that steps up. You, as a cis person, have access to spaces and privilege of people that trans people do not. So use that privilege. Um, that is something that only you can do. <laughs> it's like only you can stop wildfires, but like only you can like be in these spaces. And then keep learning, right? Like, please don't listen to this. It's probably a really long podcast. Um, and think that you know everything about trans issues, because I I do not know everything about trans issues. I know very little, um, and most of it has been because I have like observed and learned from other people, other elders, other activists. Um, so there are going to be like a bunch of articles linked in the description below. I might like create an infographic with like some books or general concepts. Um, I've been meaning to do that for ASU anyway. Um, but yeah, like if you see like events about like trans identities, like go to them. If you see an article or you're scrolling on Instagram and you see an infographic, take the time to read it. Um, don't let your journey stop here. You know, like if it starts here, great. We're glad that you're here. Keep moving, right? Like, and if you're already on this journey and you happen to stumble across this podcast, I hope that it adds something to your knowledge. I hope that, you know, it gives you a new perspective or a new dimension, right? But, like, please don't stop. Like, keep going. For trans people listening to this, like, your, your magic, I love you. Don't stop learning about your identity and finding community and finding people that love you and validate you. Like, Keep learning about yourself. Um, keep, you know, advocating for yourself. Like I hope that you have community around you that loves you, that supports you, that keeps you safe. I think just don't stop. Like just don't give up. Just keep moving. Keep learning. Yeah, I think. I kind of feel like there's obviously more, but I feel like that is the main one. That like don't stop. From your perspective, would you say like people who only identify as they them, would that automatically make that person a non-binary? My answer, my personal answer is no. Um, and I, I feel that way because pronouns are not automatically gendered. So just because someone um, uses they them pronouns doesn't mean that they automatically identify as non-binary, right? Like, there are many different genders out there, um, but I think it's the concept, like, if someone uses she, they pronouns, that does not automatically mean that they are a woman, right? Um, it doesn't mean that they're not a woman, but it doesn't mean, it's not, like, explicitly, like, oh, if you use she, her pronouns, then you must always be a woman, and you are always going to be treated that way, and when you share that, like, you are a woman. Um, so just because someone uses they them pronouns doesn't mean automatically that they are non-binary. Um, I think in general, just don't assume people's genders. I think that it is good practice to like refer to people whose gender you don't know as they them, as long as after they tell you their pronouns, you use them. So I have like met cis people who are like, I'm so gender inclusive, I refer to everyone as gender, as you know, with they them pronouns, I never assume gender. And then like people will be like, oh, actually my pronouns are she or hers, and those people will, like continue to gender them as they them and be like, I'm so inclusive. And that is not inclusivity. <laughs> um, it is, I think it is good practice to be like, hey, I can't assume this person's gender. Like, 
I was going to use he, him for that stranger, but like got to rewire my brain, understand that you can't assume gender um, of other people until they tell you, and use they, them. And then if, you know, that person on, you know, like that stranger like walks up to your car and is like, hi, my name's Carl, my pronouns are he, him, his, in this make-believe world, then you're like, cool, Carl, look at me on the streets, pronouns are he, him, his. But then if every time you drive by Carl, you're like, oh, there, there they are, like that is misgendering. You ended on the note of like learning and like I feel like in the PETA community we're really scared to call each other in to conversations and there's a lot of shame that comes with that maybe from like I don't know parents, honor, whatever. <laughs> I get that um, but I hope that like with the things that we learned in this podcast and like with this podcast series that we can step into that because there's always going to be more that we don't know. And I really appreciated that, like, throughout this conversation, you, like, like continue to talk about how, like, you don't know and, like, I don't know and that we're all learning. And I think it is the mindset that we should all be in. So thank you for your time and, like, sharing your wisdom and knowledge because that's a lot of energy on you. <laughs> it truly is. I'm just thinking about, like, all the research you did and, like, you're like, I'm going to make these graphics. And I'm just, like, really appreciative of your time and your effort and your knowledge. Yeah, of course. Thank you for, thank you for having me.